Gospel of Matthew, and we are flying through it. We're going to get through Matthew in less than a year, which I think is shorter than any church I've ever been a part of. That is crazy. We're on the home stretch right now, chapters 24 to 28. Jesus is in Jerusalem, and Matthew is recording for us the last few weeks before his crucifixion. So this is really important stuff. The week before Jesus goes to be crucified, to die, he's saying the most important things that his disciples need to remember. Now, a majority of this teaching this morning is brought to you uh, by our good friend Tim Mackey at the Bible Project over in Portland, and a teaching that he gave at Door of Hope in 2015. That's my sneaky way of saying I'm ripping off another dude. All right. Clash of kingdoms. That's what the Bible Project calls it. This whole section, a clash of kingdoms. What do we mean? Jesus is introducing his kingdom, and it is contrary to the kingdoms of this world. More on that in a second. This teaching I'm calling the beginning of the end the beginning of the end. And uh, it's just one of my favorite songs from a band called Weezer for the Bill and Ted soundtrack. Yes. <laughs> Check it out on your own time. Okay, so go ahead and open up your Bible or your Bible app to Matthew chapter 24. Quick intro before we pray. In Matthew's narrative, this chapter, chapter 24, could be summarized with this statement. Here's what happens when God's people choose to fight the world using the methods of the world, that is, retaliation with violence and rebellion and revolt. And conversely, up to this point, Jesus was showing us a different way to contrast the world, to resist the kingdoms of the world, which we can summarize in one of his statements, love your enemies, right? Love your enemies. So simple, pray for those who persecute you, do ridiculous acts of generosity, and kindness, and peacemaking. These are the weapons, so to speak, of Jesus, peacemaking, and kindness, and love. And he tells us that that's how his kingdom is going to come here on earth, even here today in Redmond, Oregon, 2021. Not by fear, not by hate, and not by violence. Now, we saw last week, a few weeks ago in chapter 23, that while there are many who are receiving Jesus' kingdom into their heart, there are also many more who are rejecting it, in particular, a lot of the Pharisees and religious leaders at that time. And Jesus says this just at the end of chapter 23. You can look up there. Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather you, your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing So see, your house now, the temple, is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till I say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is lovingly trying to call his people off the road to destruction that they are on. And then, and that road to destruction, by the way, is is very literally trying to fight Rome. They want to kick off this whole Roman room of oppression. He's trying to call them off that road to instead resist and push back through his teachings, through his love and his compassion. So you get that it's a clash of kingdoms, right? Clash of kingdoms. So simple, right? So simple. Yes? Nodding heads? Yeah. I wish, right? I wish. We're coming up on chapter 24. This is a big one, okay? Jesus is going to, in chapter 24 of Matthew, predict the future. No big deal. The fall of Jerusalem and the coming of the age. So... Think like Loki. Anybody watching Loki? 
Disney Plus? Nobody? Oh, you guys are so pure in heart. Thank you. That's what, I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes. Loki, the TVA, he who remains in the citadel of the end of time. If you know, you know. It's the future. It's the end of time. Now, some of you came from a church like I did, uh, where we like annually devoted ourselves to what we called prophecy updates, things about the end time, taking current events and headlines and news articles and, and like putting together the signs and seeing how it might all fit into the biblical narrative and the grand story of humanity. So there were lots of graphs and geography and politics and mathematics and various theories about how and when it's all going to happen, the end of the world. Enormous debates and speculations surrounding this whole issue. I, I mean, I specifically remember our lead pastor, Brett, you were probably there. Do you, you might remember him saying this. He said, I think, he said, I'm pretty convinced Jesus is going to come back in 2013. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I guess he was surprised, you know. And here's just a different glimpse. We have a slide of different eschatological eschatological views about the end times and Jesus' second coming. We have that slide. Oh, yeah. Look, it's so simple, everybody, right? You know? These graphs are easy to find on the internet, like almost as easy as finding cat videos. I mean, you can pull stuff like this up for days. And you see, you can see, just look at this. I mean, these are just different, like, theories about what might happen at the end of the times when Jesus comes back. Idealism, historical. I'm not going to go through them all. The point is I just want you to see, like, this is intense, And with that, there are a lot of people, I think it's safe to say, there are a lot of people that are obsessed with this stuff, unhealthily obsessed. And of course, you probably get those emails forwarded to you that are like, if you really love Jesus, you'll pass this on to everyone you know, right? You guys get those emails? (laughs) Yeah. And of course, there's the TV shows and books and movies all swirling around this topic and like I said, you could say there's an extreme obsession about this stuff, the end of the world. Um, here's just one like, extreme example of what I'm referring to. Next slide. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> you are all thinking it, all right? You are all thinking it. I could tell. Let's take that slide down. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to look at it all. But first, um, but first, you need to know this. Um, the end times, the end game, it does matter to Brett and I. Like, we're going to have fun this morning, but it, it does matter to both of us. Um, but you need to know, like, it's way down in our debate over category. Like, to die for, divide over, decide on debate. Like, this sits way low into our debate category. Um, this is something that should not be obsessed over or cause division or slander or hate within our own church. Definitely not. Um, Brett said this week to me, he said, concerning Jesus' second coming, the end times, we are on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. Right? So good. So good. Put another way, we all agree, everybody in this room agrees that Jesus is coming back, Right? None of us agree on the when or the how, and that's okay, right? That is okay. This is not a divide-over issue. So with all of that said, really excited for this morning. If you would, let's pray, and let's ask the Spirit to guide us together. Father, it's good to be united around the things that matter most. Your Son, our King, His death, His resurrection, His ascension. He is king. Jesus is our Lord. 
And we thank you that Jesus initiated a time where your Holy Spirit is now with us. We get to encounter you here on a Sunday morning, even looking at a rather bizarre chapter. We get to have this moment where your Spirit will do things and speak to us in our hearts and in our lives and where we're at today. You care about where we're at right now, where we're sitting. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for your compassion. And may your will be done in this gathering. We pray in his name. Yeah, amen. Okay, a few definitions for you before we get into this. Eschatology. Eschatology. We got them up here. Yeah, eschatology, concerning the end times. That's what that means. It's, It's heady stuff that we do in Bible college, but there it is. Prophecy, and this is my working definition. To speak truth from God or into a situation. Right, so, you know, sometimes somebody might come up to you and just share, maybe it's a Bible verse, like, hey, I just had this verse on my heart for you, and you hear it, and you go like, oh, that just hits me right where I'm at in life. That, that is prophetic. That is speaking the truth of God into a person's life. A fun fact, only about 2% of biblical prophecy deals with future stuff, okay? Uh, next thing, apocalyptic literature. This does not mean, check, whew. This does not mean end times. Apocalyptic literature is an ancient art form revealing things that were once covered. So it means to uncover or to to give a revelation. In fact, apocalypse is Greek for to reveal. So why should you care? Let's Let's ask the first question here. Why should you guys care about the end times? Quick history lesson here. It's going to take like a few minutes and we'll come up for air at the end. Um, Did you know that there are competing narratives about your future? Did you know that there are competing narratives about your future? Biblical history says, for thousands of years, we in the West believed that God was moving things forward toward a future goal, the outworking of God's good and sovereign purposes for his creation. The biblical hope rests on God's covenant faithfulness to destroy evil rescue his people, and restore his creation. That's, that's the biblical narrative. Unfortunately, during the Enlightenment in the 18th century, secular modernity sprang up. Modernity said something like this, you don't need to fear the future because we have science, education, and technology. In other words, humans can control their own destiny. Now, how did that go for humanity? Not good, yes. World War I, World War II, some of you are around for that, you know? Not good. So what happened next? When all of that failed, we entered into where we are today, post-modernity, which goes something like this. The hope that science and rationalism could save us all but collapsed. The future is now terrifying to think about. And we better just live for today because that's the only thing we can control. Does that sound familiar? That narrative? Yeah, it's like, don't worry about consequences or climate change or faithfulness to your spouse. It's better just to live in the here and now. You know, have fun. Focus on your fantasy football league or whatever it is that can distract you, from, distract you with momentary happiness. And again, this is the narrative that we live in right now. The world, ladies and gentlemen, has gone mad. The world has gone mad. I mean, just think about it today. COVID-19. Delta variant, vaccinations, mandates, political and social unrest. There's 
leadership scandals, leadership scandals in the church. Uh, there's an alarming decrease in mental health, giving rise to things like suicide. There's gender confusion. There's race and injustice. There's police brutality and police reform. I mean, right now, there's fires raging up and down the West Coast. People are losing their businesses and homes. There's stuff happening on the other side of the world in Afghanistan and pulling out the U.S. troops, ISIS, refugees fleeing for their lives. There's the ongoing tension of Jerusalem and Palestine. And throw into the mix the complete downfall and collapse of the New York Mets baseball team. No chance that they're going to make the playoffs. Any Mets fans here? Oh, there's one right there. Carson. Who would have known? They're dragging the Padres down with them, too. Okay, that's the Mets' fault. It's utter chaos. The world is a crazy place. It's out of control, seriously. But whether your response is obsession, right? You get into all the graphs and all the things about end times. Or your response is apathy. You're just like, you know what? I just can't do this anymore. I don't want the news feed every morning. I'm just going to ignore it. The question that brings us all together this morning is this. What does it look like to be a faithful follower of Jesus in the midst of a crazy world? And I think we have that slide. Do we have that slide? I don't know. What does it look like? I'll just repeat it. What does it look like to be a faithful follower of Jesus in the midst of a crazy world? Like, what mindset should I have? What approach should I have that lines up with the teachings of Jesus so that I don't fall into those extremes, like get super obsessed or completely apathetic? So lucky for us, Jesus gives us the answer. Jesus cares. He gives us guidance. The world has gone mad, but he cares for you and I. So let's get into it. Chapter 24, verse 1. First thing, Jesus left the temple and was walking away. So let me show you a picture before we go any further. Here is a, uh, yeah, this is like a reconstruction of the city of Jerusalem in that day. Uh, This is the temple of Herod the Great there, the big structure, upper right. And it took decades to build this. This was one of the wonders of the ancient world. In fact, that red roof over here um, next to the guy holding the baby and whoever that guy is in the chair, um, that is where Jesus was kicking people out, flipping tables in the temple. So this is, this is impressive. Like, and to get a sense of a scale, like I look at this little like, amphitheater thing over here, you know, and you realize just how big the temple is. Like, holy smokes. That's impressive, right? So Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attentions to its building. So they're like, hey, Jesus, how cool is all this stuff? You know, isn't this amazing? Look how big it is. It's kind of like me when I go to Legoland. I'm like, honey, honey, like... Star Wars, they made the whole scene. This is incredible. You know, there's a Lego-sized Wookiee, you know. And she's like, Michael, you see these Legos? Not one is going to be stacked on the other if you keep up at this. (laughs) Come on, let's go. I'm like, but the Stranger Things, can I buy it in the store on the way out? No, you're 37. Come on. (laughs) So they're stoked, right? Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every single one will be thrown down. These are giant stones, by the way, the size of a car. Every one will be thrown down. So Jesus kind of kills all the excitement, right? He lets the air out of the balloon. But you need to know this. Jesus' prediction here was right. Jerusalem at that time was already in a process of rebellion against Rome. You see it all over the Gospels and Scripture. The treasury, which was built into Uh, That building I just showed you a second ago was actually being depleted. Those funds were being used 
uh, to fund the revolt against Rome right at that time. And so it's with grief that Jesus is like, the temple that you guys think is God's dwelling place, it's going to be destroyed. Now that's a, that's a big statement by Jesus. It, it's treason in that nation. In fact, his very words there would be used against him at his trial for his crucifixion. So naturally, the disciples are like, whoa, we, we need to know more. They have more questions. It says, verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, Olives the disciples came to him privately. And they said, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Okay, how many questions are there? Two-ish. Two Two-ish. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we'll put that slide up. One, when will these things be? Like the temple destroyed. And Jesus is going to answer that in verses 4 to 35. And then the second question, like a dual question, right? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answers that in verses 36 to 51. So in their mind... In the disciples' minds, these two events are connected. The judgment of Jerusalem for rejecting Jesus' kingdom and the Messiah kingdom coming into being, new creation, new heavens, new earth, new resurrected bodies that we'll all have. These events for the disciples are tied together, and Jesus answers both their questions. I love that about Jesus. He doesn't leave them hanging, and he does it in chronological order. How good is that? Hooray, right? So let's work for it. Actually, before, I just want to show you where this transition is so you can see it in your Bibles. Go down to verse 33. And he says, even so, verse 33 to 35, even so, when you see all of these things, right? That's the first question. When will these things happen? When you see all of these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So again, these things he's referring to, the fall of Jerusalem. And he says, it will happen in a generation. Okay, another Bible question. What is a generation, if you're thinking biblically? How long is a generation? Think Moses, right, in the wilderness for 40 years. Yeah, okay, a biblical generation is 40 years. And Jesus pretty much nailed it on the head. It would be 37 years later, just shy of 40 years, that Rome would come in and destroy Jerusalem, 70 AD. So that's the first question answered. The second question, the sign of your coming in the end of the age, Jesus begins to answer next. And he says this, verse 36, look down in your Bible. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels or messengers in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, the second half of that might raise all sorts of really awesome questions about Trinity. We don't have time for that. But don't miss the clear and obvious thing. About that day and hour, no one knows. Who knows? No one. Who knows? If you're really smart, you go, the Father. Yeah. But no one. No one else knows, right? (laughs) Which is fascinating, because even today, there's a lot of people who think they know. Now, you might be one of those. You might come to me afterwards and say, like, something to the effect of Michael, like, I think Jesus is coming back tomorrow. What if he comes back tomorrow? And you'd be surprised when I answer, what's keeping him from coming back today? Get what I'm at? Yeah? You get it? Like, we don't know. He could come back today. He could come back right now during the middle of this gathering. No one knows except the Father. So let's look at Jesus' answer to question number one. Back up to verse four. 
I'm calling this section Temple Destruction and Bob Ross. You'll see. So Jesus answers this question in a way that is very first century Jewish. And the style is called the language of apocalyptic literature. Again, doesn't mean in times. To reveal is what it means. This is the way that the prophets spoke. And it's, it's very poetic. It's very poetic. It's full of imagery and symbolism. And it gave you a perfect sense of the feeling of what was going on. Not necessarily the exact details. My wife and I were talking about this. Like when you listen to a Taylor Swift song. She's not giving you the exact details of her breakup with John Mayer, you know? But you listen to the song, you're like, ah, oh, I see what she's going through. Ah, oh, that jerk, you know? Ah, oh, what can we do? You know, you feel it. And these, and these poets, these prophets, they give you a great sense, not necessarily of what will literally happen, but the feeling of it all. So keep that in your mind. This is the way that the prophets spoke. It's very poetic. Uh, now, and everybody in Jesus' day would get this. Apocalyptic literature, they're like, oh, yeah. That's famous stuff. That's on my reading list. No worries. Everybody in our day, 2021, no, right? Not what we read on our free time. And so we need the help of Bob Ross. Are you ready? We got it, Dylan? Ah, there he is. Come on. You guys remember Bob Ross, public television? This guy was amazing. It was the most peaceful thing on earth. You just watch him paint and talk about it. He'd be like, look, and then this branch broke. Maybe when a little moose came by on its way traversing before my brother-in-law killed it with a bow and arrow. Now, Bob was amazing. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, We actually didn't receive the rights for this photo, so I had to make a quick edit. Um, Yeah, there we go. That'll work. (laughs) So let's leave that up there on the screen for a bit. It really is fascinating how much it worked. Like, there wasn't a lot of editing. Okay, so how do we understand apocalyptic literature, apocalyptic language, the poetic writing style? So I learned this in Bible college. Some of you have gone. You've learned the same thing. We took, like, a Hebrew class or a class on the prophets. So much like the, the mountains here in central Oregon, like, you go to a certain part, you can kind of see how they are layered, right? There's, there's stuff in the foreground. There's stuff that's really close to us. And then there's mountains after that, and then there's mountains after that. But what we don't know is how far apart those mountains are, do we? Like, we don't know the distance from this perspective. In fact, it, it, it all looks like it's really close together, but it could be like 50 miles between each mountain. And this is exactly how the prophets would speak about events in their day. They would speak about it. There was a near future thing, right? Say, like, the fall of Babylon. They would speak about the fall of Babylon. But then they would also talk about, like, cosmically, how the fall of Babylon is like a picture for things to come years and years into the future. Is that making sense for you guys? Yeah. So they would paint it, like, in a poem, you know, with God's cosmic purposes in the world to judge evil and bring peace to all nations. And they do this all in one Big section, one big poem. And you're like, wait, so what is this section about? Is it about the fall of Jerusalem or is it about the end of the world? And the answer is yes. 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 Good. <laughs> you get it. So we need to check our assumptions, our preconditioned ideas from the popular books, right? Popular book series, or famous actors like Kirk Cameron and Nicolas Cage. 
And we need to read this like a good first century Jew. So let's get into it. Verse 4, Jesus answered. Yeah, Bob Ross is off, or Brett Ross, whatever you want to call him, is off the... That's good. We can focus now. (laughs) Jesus answered, answered, verse 4, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these things are the beginning of birth pains. Now remember this. This is all answering that first question, right? This is the near thing that's happening, but it's also painting a picture for generations to come. So he says, within a generation, this is all true. And we know from the historical records um, that there were, in fact, other people that claimed to be the Messiah. In fact, they discredited Jesus because of his crucifixion. They said, oh, that can't be him. And he didn't overthrow Rome. And so other messiahs came on the scene. I looked up the names. Thaddeus was one. Another guy was named Phoenix. There was a dude named the Egyptian, which sounds cool. You know? And then Simon Bar-Gloria, just four other people that claimed to be messiah. All saying Jesus, again, couldn't have been the Messiah. He failed. And then, of course, there were wars and famines. And Jesus' advice through all of that is don't let it disrupt you. Don't let it throw you off. The world is always going to be crazy. Human evil and sickness is the buildup to renewal and new birth. Verse 9, he continues, Then you will be handed over and be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. So first century, 40 years after Jesus said all this, think Book of Acts, There's a lot of persecution that happens. There's rot from within in the church. Paul's dealing with false teachers in the church. And then there's apathy due to wickedness. Think the apostle John in the early chapters of Revelation. He's trying to wake up the church. Go back to your first love. Be compassionate. But here's the catch for us today. Doesn't this also sound like Jesus could be talking about the past 25 years? Like, this was written 2,000 years ago, if you didn't know. But it sounds a lot like the last 25 years. Y2K, you guys remember that, when our computers were going to take us over, Matrix and all that? Yeah. (laughs) 9-11, economic downturn in 2008. There were, if you guys don't remember, before COVID, mass shootings were crazy. A ton of mass shootings. The recent scandals in church leadership, and of course now COVID-19. But what's interesting is some of you lived in the 60s. I'll try not to look around when I say that. Some of you out here. Doesn't it sound like the 1960s, right? Watergate, presidential assassination, sexual revolution, Cuban Missile Crisis, Vietnam, civil rights, Vatican II, the debut of Star Trek. (laughs) And so my point is this. Could it be that Jesus is simply talking about the basic human condition? of every century since Jesus? The answer is yes. He's prophetically speaking about the near future for Jerusalem, but he's also speaking towards our condition today. He's talking like a prophet. 
He's talking about the closest mountain and the mountain ranges behind it. So what should we do? Verse 13. This is a good one to underline if you're that type of person in your Bible, you know, underline or highlight. But the one who stands firm, those who follow the ways of Jesus, to the end will be saved. I love that. It's kind of a low bar there, right? Like, you just need to have endurance. You don't need to be like, great, okay? Just like stand firm to the end. Don't give up. In verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, and then the end will come. So Jesus is saying this isn't the end. The gospel of the kingdom will spread to the whole world. And Jesus basically gives them marching orders. Tells his disciples, like, you need to be about the business of the kingdom of God. Jesus saw the suffering in the state of the world. He cares. He's compassionate. He showed that. And he says, stand firm, bear witness to the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, I love this, let the reader understand. Okay, so that's like a clue, a hyperlink, if you will, to go read the book of Daniel. We don't have time, but I want to show you this picture. Um, We got a picture up here. So this is the Arch of Titus in Rome. So if you go to Rome today, there's this, this very classic Roman arch. And, and on this, you have all the recordings of this general Titus and all of his victories that he had for Rome. And so, of course, uh, depicted here is the invasion of Jerusalem. You see, like, the menorah, right? It's pretty obvious. And the arch, uh, sorry, and this, this battle, when Titus put a siege against Jerusalem, started in 66 AD, and it ended in 70 AD. He plundered the temple. Then, this is interesting, he went and made sacrifices to the Roman gods in the temple. In the, in the temple that is for Yahweh, the one true God, he went and made sacrifices to the Roman gods. And so Jesus is like, when you see this happening, run, all right? This is not good news. Uh, I have to say, you know, Sometimes they do like restoration work on paintings and arches and stuff like this. So they did that and they uncovered something pretty... There he is. Yeah. Just kind of so many layers to this, you know? The abomination of desolation right there. It's like an inside joke now at this point. I love it. Verse 16. So let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains... Let no one on the housetop go down or take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. And then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Okay, that last line is like a very purposeful Jewish exaggeration, and it's used by a lot of biblical authors, it doesn't mean that, like, that was the worst thing that's ever happened in world history. But again, imagine you're in that time. Imagine you're Jewish, and that's happening. Your city has been sacked. The temple is being destroyed. I mean, it would feel like the end of the world. You know, we, the only thing we get close to that today is, like, if you're watching alien movies, and they come, and they start destroying all the cities in the U.S., you would feel like that is the very end. Verse 22, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. And at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. 
For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect, the followers of Jesus. So Jesus says, I've told you ahead of time, right? So you don't give your credit card number to somebody, right? Asking for the people that prey on our fears. Uh, He says instead, stand firm, stick to the hope of the kingdom. Verse 26, so if anyone tells you, oh, I already did that, repeat here. Yeah, if anybody tells you out in the wilderness, do not go out. Here he is in the other rooms. Don't believe it. For as lightning comes from the east, is visible even in the west, as in it's obvious, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass there, the vultures will gather. I think you guys get that analogy out here in central Oregon, right? Yeah. It'll be obvious when Jesus comes back. Verse 29, immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his messengers with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the one end of the heavens to the other. Okay, whoa. Uh, like, those last few verses, what mountain are we talking about there? Like, this is getting wild. And, and again, it sounds like, it's the end of the world as we know it. Now I feel fine, right? Like, whoa, this is it. This is the end of the world as we know it. And maybe, and maybe honestly, that's true. But... The very next verse, he says, this will happen within a generation. So we kind of have that context. Now, what's going on? Like the sun being darkened and the moon, like what is happening there? Well, let the reader understand. He's referring back to prophets of old. He's, He's borrowing language from prophets hundreds of years ago to talk about this event. And so you'd have to do the work. We're not gonna do it this morning. It's fascinating though. Go read Isaiah 13 on your own time. See how Isaiah uses that depiction. Go read the book of Daniel in chapter 7, verse 13, and see how Daniel uses that imagery and depiction of the clouds and stuff. You, You have to go do this study on your own time. But the point is, this is going to happen. And I believe in this text, just my personal interpretation, that Jesus was also talking about his crucifixion. In fact, Matthew depicts it that way. It's like the sun went to darkness. And that Jesus is traveling just then to death and to his ascension. Okay, but again, that's interpretation stuff. So you're free to interpret how you want. Verse 32. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And so at this point, we've concluded question one. And if we had time, we would get into question two. Question two is, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? This is verses 36 to the end. And there's a lot there, okay? We don't actually have time, again, this morning to get into it. You can read it on your own. I'm suggesting you do. But going forward, I'm going to summarize it for you. The main idea is this. Jesus will return. It might take a while. So don't get lazy because there's work to do. The spreading of his kingdom, there is work to do. That's what you can hear today. 
And in fact, this section here in verse 24 actually carries into chapter 23. Carson's going to teach that about a month from now after we do our sort of vision series. And it just picks up on that exact idea. Jesus will return. It might take a while. So don't get lazy. Get to work spreading his kingdom. All right. We made it. <laughs> we'll end with what Jesus said in verse 13. So right now, if you want, you can close your Bibles. And I kind of want to give us just a, a nice place to land a plane this morning. And I've got to play some music here in a second. So I'm going to start a little pad noise here, Matt, if you're ready for that. Cool. So how does Jesus want his followers to live in a world full of chaos? constantly on the verge of crisis, a world that's feeding off of our fear and speculation. Tim Mackey said it this way, I like it. He says, he wants us to trust that history is in his hands and that his death and resurrection will ensure that the most powerful empires of this world will not get the last word. However, it's not going to be an easy ride. History of wickedness will repeat itself. So stand firm. Spread the good news of the kingdom of God. Maybe you guys have heard this before, but there's kind of, if you wanted to like boil down every human response that there is, you could put them into two different buckets, love and fear. Love and fear. And despite our cultural narrative right now that says things are out of control and spinning into chaos, screaming at us to live in fear, we can choose instead to have a very real hope in the love of Jesus. You don't have to live in fear. You don't. But you can choose to love. You are part of a greater story and you have a very real hope in that. So let me read it to you again, just a variation on verse 13. You can believe that God is moving things forward toward a future goal, the outworking of God's good and sovereign purposes for his creation. The biblical hope rests on God's covenant faithfulness to destroy evil, rescue his people, and restore his creation. So I'll put that slide up now. Stand firm to the end. Follow the way of Jesus. You will be saved. Have endurance and preach the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. As I transition now over to doing music and responding, a response in music and prayer and coming to the tables, I'm just gonna give you guys like 20 or 30 seconds. And this is a good moment to maybe name the fear that you have. What is the fear that you have? I mean, I know, I, I know the conversations that are happening in my own household, right? The things that we're speculating about the things that cause anxiety through the night, about things happening today. Name that thing. Bring it to God in this moment. And then allow the Holy Spirit to show you how you can respond with love and compassion the way Jesus has been teaching his disciples to do for thousands of years. Sound good? Cool. So let's go ahead. If you, you know, if it's helpful just to, to bow or have your hands out like this or close your eyes, let's just take the next 20 or 30 seconds Let's name our fear and then allow the Holy Spirit to show us God's love.
So this moment, uh, the tables are open. We're going to ask you guys during this next song as we respond and worship and pray.